We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are back. Irish IB Nation, I should say. I was going to say Irish Nation, but Irish Breakdown Nation. We're back for another podcast. It is Tuesday, September 20th, and we are a few days away from the Notre Dame-North Carolina game. And this week, we are going to kind of get back on a normal schedule, and we're going to talk. We're going to break down this North Carolina Tar Heel team, and we're going to break down the matchup between Notre Dame and North Carolina today. We are going to basically dive into North Carolina in all phases of the game. Tomorrow we'll dive into sort of the on-paper matchup, the run game versus run game, pass game versus pass game. Have some fun with that. Thursday I will be in my Virginia office, and we will do uh, keys to victory. And then Friday we will do uh, our predictions. We'll have the Notre Dame game predictions and obviously some of the other big games of the weekend, right? And just another interesting, intriguing weekend of college football, Ryan, that we are. I'm looking forward to yes. discussing on Friday. So it was. Uh, it, it's going to be another good weekend, and of course, the Notre Dame North Carolina game is going to be one of the uh, the big matchups in college football. But of course, the most important matchup for us. And what we're going to do today, Ryan, is just dive into the Tar Heels because this is a three and zero team uh, coming into this matchup undefeated. They have not really been tested yet by a great team, but App State is a obviously a good football team. A week after losing to Nor- North Carolina at the end of the game, a game that North Carolina controlled. For most of the game, App State kind of had a, a come some fluky things happen late. North Carolina didn't put the game away where they should have, but ended up getting the job done. Uh, they won that game, and of course, they beat a a Georgia State team that is zero and three right now. Is coming off of a loss to Charlotte, and then of course beat Florida A&M. So their toughest test so far was a road win at Appalachian State, which is a good win. It's a, I mean Notre Dame has a road a home loss to a Sun Belt team that I don't think is as good as Appalachian State. So this is a quality football team, but a team that we're still learning a lot about, Ryan. Yes, yes. I think that's really well put. I mean, the numbers, because there's context to numbers all the time, right? But I think there's really context to these numbers, right? And it's it's context in both directions, Brian, because you're going to see some numbers you're like, okay, but they're not playing the best of competition. Are these inflate a little bit? And there's some numbers that you're like, wow, that's alarming, considering the fact that they haven't played – a lot of great teams, but you're right. I mean, we haven't seen them tested against a 
what we would consider a truly good team as of yet, right? Like a good Appalachian State team that beat Texas A&M, but no great teams on the schedule yet. So it's a lot of question marks right now, but mm-hmm. that's why it makes it fun is we're kind of predicting what is the tangible stuff moving forward when they get into the tougher meat of their schedule and what is kind of a little bit of smoke and mirrors. But either way, a lot of talented players in this North Carolina roster. So I'm right. I'm excited to get talented with the scheme and a little bit of some of the players mm-hmm. that we should be keeping an eye on. When you talk about context, right, you can say, well, you know, yeah, they're scoring a lot of points, but they haven't played anybody. And I would say, yes, that is true. But they also have played the last two games without their best player as well. Yes. And so it, it just kind of feeds into, Ryan, we could kind of point this in different directions. This will be the first big test for uh, North Carolina. Notre Dame will be, at least the Notre Dame defense will be. This is an opportunity to be a get-right game for the Notre Dame offense because if you can't get right this game, there are major problems, major yes. problems that need to get uh, – that need that that are, I mean, just major problems. Uh, it's also a game, too, that to me is going to show us a lot more about the Notre Dame defense. And, and I think, you know, we saw them play very well in the opener, not great in week two, pretty good in week three. They've had two pretty darn good weeks mixed in with a little bit of a letdown game against Marshall. How are they going to be able to prepare for this type of offense with just a week to prepare? I think that's going to be a really interesting aspect to this as well. They had a whole offseason to get ready for Ohio State's offense. Didn't prepare great for Marshall. Cal's offense is a little bit easier to prepare for, if we're going to be honest with you about it. So this is going to be a big test, obviously, for Al Golden as well. Al Golden and his coaching staff. So just so many important storylines, Ryan. But the biggest one uh, for Notre Dame is you've got an opportunity to go on the road, get a win over a Power 5 team, and go into the, the, the bye week with a little bit of Hey, we're we're headed in the right direction, right? And then a loss since you're in the bye week kind of starting. I mean, you're you're really gonna have to be back to square one and figure some stuff out. So very, very interesting uh game and a really good test for Notre Dame. And so let's dive into North Carolina, Ryan. And the biggest thing is as we were kind of talking about the numbers beforehand. I'm gonna pull this up. This is a tale of two completely different football teams. And I'm not talking about Notre Dame and North Carolina. I'm talking about North Carolina's offense and North Carolina's defense. Because one is excellent, bet one of the best in the nation, and the other is terrible and one of the worst in the nation. And I'm going to pull this up. This is from our article that we published this morning. It's the kind of the opponent first glance of North Carolina. And this is like, this isn't nutty. You're looking at these numbers. <laughs> On the left, you're going to see, looking from your left, you're going to see the offensive ranks in the ACC for North Carolina. As you can see, they're either first or second in a lot of different categories. And on the, on the right is the rankings of the North Carolina defense in the ACC. Now, just for those who aren't sure, the ACC has 14 teams. So there's <laughs> a lot of rankings where they're last, like dead last or second to last. I mean, their best ranking is their ninth and third down efficiency. Ryan, that is a uh, that is a really really ugly number, and when you talk about context, right? The one good team that they played this year on third down defense, North Appalachian State, went six of twelve. They held zero and three Georgia State to four out of sixteen on third down, and Florida A and M, who's a one double A team that was missing twenty some scholarship players from their roster going into that game, was held to thirty eight point five percent. So. Even that, even that, the context is even the number where they're not out of the top ten is a little bit misleading. When you consider they rank this low, and you think about who they've played, it gets a little bit alarming. Now, the points per game, Ryan, is a little bit, uh, I would say, a little bit misleading just because of 
the way that App State kind of charged back and all that kind of stuff, but they haven't been very good in the other two games either. You know, but one game can, when you've only played three, one game can kind of skew your stats a little bit. But they gave up 24 points to Florida A&M, and they gave up 28 points to Georgia State, who has yet to win a game. That That's not good, Ryan. And they no. gave up 235 rushing yards to Georgia State. That That's not good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone should start their day with a great cup of coffee. And for my family, that means the latest blend from Trade Coffee. My wife loves Trade Coffee. And when my parents were in town for the Notre Dame season opener, I turned them on to Trade Coffee as well. Let me tell you about Trade Coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. The coffee we got from Trade was superb. My wife is very picky with her coffee. I've told you that before, so I trusted Trade Coffee and had her fill out their quiz. They sent us three different blends, and they batted a thousand. We received the Holmes Blend from Sparrow Coffee in Michigan, the Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York, and the Black Velvet from Atomic Roasters in Massachusetts. That's our collection, and trust me, we're adding to it. But if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take their coffee quiz and get expertly matched with coffees you'll love. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order plus shipping at drinktrade.com irish. That's drinktrade.com irish for $30 off. Try it out today. I kind of poked a little fun at him. The, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, Brian, because I just said, like, I thought Jay Bateman was fired. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, I didn't know that he's still the defensive coordinator, man. And it's it's puzzling a little bit, if we're being honest, because Gene Chizik's a respected defensive mind, right? And you have, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, during the show, but there's some talent on this North Carolina defense. That's why it's just very odd how bad they have been, man. But it's just been bad across the board. It's a team that's, not very creative defensively. They've been trying to just kind of let guys 
do their mm-hmm. thing and do their job. And for whatever reason, man, like it is just not pretty on the defensive side of the football. So, man, I, I, I just – can you imagine those practices right now where you have that that North Carolina offense versus the defense? You're just like, well, that was easy. But then you're just kind of like, well, is it easy because our offense is so good or the defense is so bad? And it's a little bit of both right now, man, if we're being really yeah. honest. Like, I'm not sure what the major issue, Brian. I mean, maybe it's a transitional period to a new coach and breaking bad habits. Like, that's possible, right? But right now, this defense is a bad, bad unit, man. Like, it's really bad, and you're countered with an offense that has the potential to being one of the best in college football. You talk about the recruiting aspect, the talent that North Carolina has, and and that's obviously debatable. We could always debate that, who's playing well, who's not, who's, who's athletic but not talented, who's talented but not maybe athletic. There's always those debates for any week. But you talk about those people that care about recruiting. North yep. Carolina has six former four-star recruits, including two – I'm sorry, uh, let me rephrase – five former four-star recruits and one former five-star recruit in their starting lineup on defense. Yep. Same number as Notre Dame. Notre Dame has six former four-stars. They have two former top 100 def- recruits in their starting lineup in Desmond Evans and Tony Grimes, who is who is a five-star player coming out of high school when you look at the 247 composite list. Notre Dame has six former four-stars on starting on defense, none of which are former top 100 players. The only former top 100 player that really gets any playing time for Notre Dame right now is Houston Griffith. That's it. So, yeah. and yet Notre Dame – and now here's the here's the interesting story. North Carolina's defense, actually, if you look at the, the rankings of a lot of these players that play for them, it's a lot of highly ranked kids on there. Notre yes. Dame's offense, which struggles, for those who want to focus on you know recruiting rankings, oh, they don't recruit enough – 10 of Notre Dame's starting players on offense were either four or five-star recruits coming out of high school. Nine four-star recruits, and then a five-star recruit, Michael Mayer. The only three-star is Joe Alt, who's wow. arguably been their best offensive lineman through three, three games, right, which is kind mm-hmm. of funny. You know, so everybody talks about, yo, you got to recruit better. It's like, well, recruit better for what, right? I mean, right. They, recruiting-wise, if you're someone who cares about rankings, Notre, North Carolina's defense – has more four and five star recruits in their starting lineup than their offense. Only have five on offense, and yep. and then you look at their defense. They have more former four four and five star recruits. Yet their defense is abysmal. So they're they're the same story, but flipped. You know, the Notre Dame team has a bunch of highly ranked former four star five star recruit on offense, and that doesn't even include you know looking at four stars coming off the bench like Audric Estime, Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather, Eli Raritan, Kevin Bauman, Kane Barong. We could do this all day. Yet the Notre Dame offense stinks. North Carolina has several four-star players that either are coming off the bench or don't even play on defense, and yet yep. their defense stinks. Neither of the, the two areas of strength, they don't have a lot of former four-star recruits, although I will say this, the North Carolina skill players are where you get a lot of their four-star players, and that's what yes. makes it a little bit interesting. So very intriguing matchup, Ryan. And you and I were joking before the show, if you could take the North Carolina offense – and the Notre Dame defense, and make one team, that'd be a really good football team right now. It sure would. It sure would. I mean, Brian, honestly, like, you know, going back to the defense real quick and just kind of how weird it is on the North Carolina side, I was, like, even thinking before the show, I'm like, as from a coaching perspective, right, from a coaching perspective, would I like to work with Malik Murphy? Heck, yeah, yeah. I would, man. He's a really wow. talented player. Yeah. Desmond, Desmond, um, Desmond Evans. Uh, Evans, right, is, is the other is the strong side defensive end for them. I would love to work with him. Noah he was Taylor even higher than Miles Murphy was. Yes, Noah Taylor wasn't even a high. 
Yeah, and Noah Taylor wasn't even a high-star recruit, but he was a really talented player at the University of Virginia, former transfer. I would love to work with him. I would yeah. love to work with both corners and the safety Cam Kelly. I would like to work with all those guys, but right. for whatever reason, it's weird because I would say, although all those players are extremely talented, have any of them even hit close to their ceiling? Like across the board, man, it's just like stagnant development for whatever reason, yeah. right? That's the weird part. But to your point, the offense on their side, I mean – you want to talk about, and we'll get into kind of the geek out stuff about like scheming things open, right? But man, their system really does a lot with, I mean, the offensive line for the North Carolina that we didn't, you know, isn't very good, but yet they're able to get their players in space and take advantage of the great things. So it's really weird how on one side there is a creative offense, creative to the extent of like, hey, we're going to be creative getting our football players the, the ball in space, not so much from a schematic perspective, but creativity on the offensive side. And Brian, for me, like the biggest thing is like defensively, I think they're really vanilla. Mm-hmm. And it's odd because I think that Gene Chizik came in and was like, hey, we're going to just be simple this year and we're going to kind of let our guys be guys. But the problem is that none of the guys are guys yet. Yeah. Right. So it's not just yet anyway. very awkward. Yeah. Yes. Not yet. And Notre Dame needs to make this make sure that this isn't the game that they get right. Because <laughs> both of those sides of the ball are looking at this as a get right game. The Notre Dame yes. offense is saying, hey, this is a get-right game for us. We can get growing against what's been a terrible defense. And the North Carolina defense is probably like, hey, we're going to look to get right against the Notre Dame offense that's afraid to throw the ball beyond five yards past the last scrimmage. You know what I mean? So it's going to be interesting. I want to ask you a question, Ryan, before we dive specifically yeah. into North Carolina because we're going to begin with their offense. And it, it, it kind of sets that up. Can you name a team, and this is an honest question, can you mm-hmm. name a team that has an air raid offense that's actually good on defense? No, I don't. I'm thinking, okay, so Western Kentucky, no. Lincoln Riley's tutelage, no. No, I don't think I can. Ole Miss is not good on defense. Yeah. Mississippi State's not good on defense. That's a good point, man. So maybe there's there's something to time of possession that might be something. No, and not just time of possession, too, but you're practicing against this unique offense. True. And does that help prepare you for when you're not facing another air raid team? And there's just true. a lot of stuff like that that makes me wonder. Like, hmm. You know, somebody I, said I mean, USC. USC's not good on defense. No. They're, they're not good on they're defense at all. They're they're uh, playing better than I anticipated they would play, but they're still not good, right? Like yeah. it's just a little I mean, a little better. US, look, Fresno was running on them until their quarterback got hurt. USC still would have yeah. won that game, but Fresno was sure. rolling on them until their starting quarterback got hurt. They gave up 221 rushing yards to Stanford. Stanford averaged 86 yard rushing yards a game last year. Their defense yeah. stinks. And defense and they lost stinks. their two they lost their two best running backs from last year to Stanford speaking, right? right. So it's like, yes, yeah. yeah, right. even more context to that, right. right? Like that's not right. great. I right now, now I'm like hitting well, and look, next they, year. They they ran for about 50 more yards against USC than they ran against Colgate. Stanford did for context. Uh, just want to throw that out there. Uh, a the little fighting bit toothpaste. The fighting toothpaste. Yeah. I love it, man. The home I'm of tra- Donald Foyle. Yeah, it's a good point. I was trying to. I was trying to like dip into the memory banks, Brian. Like over recent years, is there has there been any air raid teams that have had a good defense? That's what I'm saying. I, like, I not even just this year though. Like, I remember right. Washington State. I think defense played pretty well under what's his name? That's at USC now. Leech. Grinch. The one year yeah, when they, they went, when they had Leach mm-hmm. there, they were good mm-hmm. one year. But besides that, I really can't think of a defense that I would classify as good. That's yeah. been on on the other side of an air raid. Yep. 
That's a, so that's an interesting aspect that you have to look at when you think about this defense. And also something to think about when I get asked the question, hey, would you love to have Phil Longo as your offensive coordinator? I said, well, if for some reason Tommy Reese departed Notre Dame, would I look at Phil Longo? Heck yes. But that sure. is a question you have to ask. What is the structure that you have on offense that that you would want to do things that then and how does that affect it? So it's certainly something that I would look at. I, it, and yeah, it's fascinating. We'll get into that another day. That might be an interesting uh, off-season discussion. You know, when you look mm-hmm. at like this, has anybody had a good defense with the air raid? Now, there are some principles that carry over from like what Steve Sarkeesian does with an air raid, but it's not sure. really an air raid. Uh, no. So, you know, and, and Bama had a, a decent defense, not a great defense, but a decent defense. And Texas is improving on defense right now under Pete Kwiatkowski. And uh, in that staff. So it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion, Ryan. There's no there's no mm-hmm. question about it. Yep. So let's dive into the North Carolina offense. You you saw the numbers, right? We pull the numbers up. The numbers are impressive, right? This is a yes. team that has not played good competition so far, but they've done exactly to that good competition what you expect to do to not good competition. And that is they're scoring a mess of points. They're moving the ball at will. Uh, I think the the some of the things that have plagued Phil Longo's offenses in past years, uh, they've been pretty good at so far this year, one of which is red zone offense. They have mm-hmm. not been a great red zone team in the past as far as scoring touchdowns. They are very good so far this year. Uh, when it comes to that, again, it that comes down to, you know, they haven't played anybody yet, but six of their seven red zone attempts so far have, have resulted in touchdowns which has been a, it was an issue for him at Ole Miss. It was an issue for him in all but 2020 at North Carolina. But right now they're, they look pretty good. So they're doing what you need to do. They're balanced. This is a weird offense though, Ryan, because when I watch them play and I've broken down their first two games, I, I didn't get to Georgia state. You took Georgia state. So I could go back and watch last year's Notre Dame game. And they don't really, they don't impress me. Like when I watch them play, I'm like, yeah, that run game didn't do well that game. And then you look at the numbers and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, that's weird because I watched them play and I I, did, I wasn't impressed by what they did. And then you look at 314 rushing yards against Florida A&M, 215 against App State, and 183 against Georgia State. And I'm thinking, I remember watching the App State game. And I'm like, they didn't run the ball well against App State. Like, I just wasn't impressed yeah. with what I saw. And then you look at the numbers and they're like 315 yards. And you made a great comment, Ryan. You say they scheme it. They, it's amazing how big the holes they get in the run game for an offensive line that doesn't block well. Yes. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing for me, man, is it is incredible to watch, Brian. Because, like, look, last year or the last couple of years, Sam Howell was a good athlete. Wasn't a great athlete, though, right? Like, he he won a lot kind of out of structure more than kind of like quarterback run game stuff, right? So we talked about, like, the numbers game type of thing. And right now, I mean, I like the Drake May kid. I mean, I, I I gushed about him today on my kind of like offensive preview for on the boards that I was breakdown.com, but it's like he's not an extension of the run game either, Brian. But for whatever reason, man, they get guys to crash to one side and they find these massive holes. And again, it's I think that Phil Longo has a great understanding of how to out leverage players in the mm-hmm. run game, right? Like he has a great understanding of that and a great understanding of angles, I think, because the offensive line's not overly good. I just think it's that they do understand angles so right like they understand where, where they need to attack to establish leverage so they Folongo is one of the best that i've seen man of because yeah. he's a air he's an air raid guy on the other side of it right brian usually people yeah. think air raid and they think mike leach throw the ball over the yard right right Folongo wants to run the football man like the he does two best air raid offenses going on right now are both being run by coaches that have shown a proclivity for running the football in the past 
Mm-hmm. And that is uh, Phil Longo and Lincoln Riley. Now, that was one of the questions I had about Lincoln Riley coming to North Carolina was would he run the ball – or, excuse me, USC – was would he want to run the ball? Because as he got further and further away from Bob Stoops, they got less and less effective, less and less emphasis on the run game. How would that be at USC? Well, they've gone for over 200 yards in each of their first two games uh, running the football, and their their down game was 164 against uh, Stanford in yes. a game where they they really shredded Stanford throwing the football. So, I mean, it, it's like, you know, they went 20 of 27, 341 yards. So it's kind of like, okay, how much running did you really want them to do? Average 4.6 yards a carry. It's okay. You know, but they've been mm-hmm. good running the football. The two best air raids are are, are both teams that run the football effectively. A couple things about this offense before we kind of get into the specifics of it, because there is some very interesting stuff about this offense. Uh, number one, Ryan, is this is an offense that st- seeks to be balanced. Right. They, they do. They are going to run the football and a lot of their not a lot, a good chunk of their throws are actually coming off of called run plays because they do a lot of RPOs, which we'll get into. And the other thing, too, is they've always been a really uh, they would they've always been a willing to use their tight ends formationally. And we'll show a, a clip against Notre Dame last year. But this year we've seen even more diversity, even though they have they are mostly 11 personnel so far this year. They've done a decent mm-hmm. chunk of 12 but they're mixing up the looks a little bit more and getting their tight ends involved in a lot of different ways than what we've seen in the past as well, Ryan. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting, man, because they have three good tight ends on this team. I mean, Kamari Morales, they have the 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 number 18, the whose name is escaping me for some reason right now, the taller tight mm-hmm. ends whose name will come to me in just a second. But they have him, and then they have another kid who's a little bit of a smaller tight end. But, so they have three – Nesbitt, Bryson Nesbitt. Yeah, just looked at the depth chart. Appreciate it. So, yeah, so they have Morales, they have Nesbitt, and then their third stringer actually plays a good bit too, Brian. So, like, they have diversity too because Morales is like a six two and a half, two hundred forty 240-plus pound tight end. Nesbitt's kind of a longer 6'5", 230-pounder. And then the third stringer is like 6'1", 240. So they're all completely different body types, different skill sets, and they've been able to mix and match them. I mean, they are – I think second, third, and fifth on the team in receiving so far this year. So yep. used very differently, but also they can they kind of fit together, right? Because they have very mm-hmm. different skill sets. So it's been interesting to see. It is. And, you know, you, you look at them too, Ryan, and, and I think obviously they've had to adapt a little bit the first two games because they haven't had Josh Downs. They had him in the first game. He didn't do a lot. He had like nine catches, was under 90 yards receiving. So it's like a lot of real quick stuff. Teams were obviously keying him. This is going to sound weird, but I actually think I actually think him being out the last two weeks has benefited that offense. Because if you look in the opener, they were like force feeding Josh Downs the football. I mean, they and yes. AM knew it. North Carolina AM knew or Florida AM knew it. And they were just they they were able to put numbers on him. And then when he was out, it forced them to be more balanced. And I think it's opened up a lot more opportunities. The backs have been involved in the run game or in the pass game, which you know they're going to be involved in the pass game. Obviously, the tight ends have, have benefited greatly. Well, now you put Josh Downs back into that, and you have to ask yourself, okay, do you go back to what the offense you were with Josh Downs, where we're going to force feed him the ball, or do you continue to run the offense you've been running, and then that's going to allow Josh Downs to maybe get some more looks. And then if you do overplay him, it opens up bigger opportunities down the road. I also think it was good for Drake May, more than anything else, to have two games without Josh Downs, because the, the one – mistake I guess I could say that a young quarterback does is when you've got a dude you just look for that dude he hasn't been able to do that because none of the guys coming back are overly experienced 
at receiver or tight end. They're not guys that have a ton of production in the past. So he's had to run the offense. Where does the read take you? If he can keep that going with Josh Downs back, then you're going to see this offense continue to be very, very schematically and, and structurally really difficult to defend, in my opinion. Right? And it's, it's, it's looked very differently, to your point, without Downs, because Downs spends most of his time in the slot for, for North mm-hmm. Carolina, right? And without him, you saw a lot more Bryson Nesbitt in the slot or Morales in the slot. So you it went from a 5'10", 175-pound dynamite receiver – to a big body, 6'1", 230. So you had a much different kind of approach to the slot position, which was interesting. And I'm interested to see how it's kind of implemented together, Brian, because, like, I mean, in theory, it could be absolutely puzzling to a defense if on one play you have a Bryson Nesbitt, the next play you have Josh Downs in the slot in the same spot, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that could be something that is kind of drives you crazy a little bit. But on the other hand, it's like, but can you cohesively work them together or is it going to get mm-hmm. clunky? Like that's so I'm, I'm interested to see that just how he's not only Josh Downs implementing the offense and how it kind of runs, but also just structurally going from big slot to smaller slot, big slot, or if you kind of use them in co- uh, cohesively together in some way, I'm interested to see how they implement all those guys. Cause they are very different style slot players, but they have each have their strengths, but they also, are not seamless fits, right? Like they're not uh, players that just like that fits perfectly together, right? Like you have to be creative with that. So I'm interested to see just how the slot position, especially looks for North Carolina with downs coming back. So Ryan, let's, uh, let's dive into some film here, right? Let's, uh, let's check out this North Carolina team and we're going to begin with the run game. Now, the first thing about their run game, Ryan is a lot of their run game is built off the RPO. They're going to have some sort of RPO action constantly. And I think that's one of the things that makes their run game effective is because you're chasing Josh Downs as they're running an outside zone or a mid zone or, you know, we, we're going to call it inside zone. It's not a traditional inside zone. It's not really mid zone either per se. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure we're, what they what they call it. We'll call it inside zone. Their run game is basically this, right? Inside zone, outside zone, counter, all plays we know, all plays we've talked about. They're going to run uh, quarterback draw off RPO mm-hmm. action, and they'll just call a quarterback draw. You can tell that it's just a called quarterback draw because the receivers just go downfield and block. Uh, and then they'll run a G a G wrap, right? And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that play. But everything that they do, almost their entire run game is built around RPOs, right? And I think that's one of the things that makes it challenging. And what I like about their RPO system is it's not just bubbles and quick outs. They run a really complex RPO package that I think a team like Notre Dame needs to be able to study a little bit more and mimic to where you can have a little bit more complexity to protect against. If you're going to bring your safeties down, fine. We'll, we'll throw behind them in the RPO yep. game. And that's something air raid teams do. It's something that Steve Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian is one of the few non-air raid coaches I know that will throw vertically and behind safeties and linebackers with the RPO game. Most just yeah. do it as like the quick game, the the snags, the bubbles, the outs, the now screens and stuff like that. So that's part of it too. So inside zone, outside zone, Ryan, we all know. We've talked about counter. We've talked about a lot. Your quarterback draw, everybody under, under, uh, understands that. I want to talk about the G-Rap scheme a little bit though, Ryan, because I think this is a this is kind of the one where they've, they've hit some big stuff. And this is also a play uh, that they hurt Notre Dame with last year. So this is against Appalachian State. You can see App State sort of in their three down alignment. Although uh, there are three, there I believe there are three three team, three four team, but it's kind of like a Jack yeah. stand up guy. 
but essentially they are going to run their their G wrap scheme to the left. Okay, and so it's going to be one of two ways. So let's just get this going here. All right. So what you're going to see here is this this tackle right here is going to block that end. Now, one of two things is going to happen here. If this end stays inside, then he's going to it's going to turn into a down block. If this end crosses his face, then he will go with him and he'll ride him out. And then the pulling guard in the back will have to read that block. So this block right here, Ryan, is the block that will be read for the insertion point. So keep that in mind as we talk about this play. But on this particular play, they down block and this guy gets sealed inside. Now, that's important because we're going to show what happened in Notre Dame last year when they had a 52-yard touchdown run on this play. And we're going to show what happened. So basically, it's just sealing the inside gaps here by both of these guys. Now, this guard right here is going to step inside, secure his A-gap, and if the A-gap does not get an immediate threat, then he's going to climb and wall off that linebacker. So he's got him out leverage. He's going to try to wall that guy off. Ryan, this I've seen it. I've seen this blocked two different ways. On this particular play, the guy went wide, so he just blocked it. This looked like a gap hinge to me, I think, is kind of what they normally do uh, just mm -hmm. to protect you know that hard B-gap crash. And, it, and then you're just going to see the back step and kind of come downhill. This guard is going to pull around for a point of entry, okay? And that's why I say this guard, the back's not the only person making a read on this play. And then you have a kick out here. So the yep. guard comes around, and he sees this seal block right here inside. So he actually goes outside here and blocks that back or blocks that linebacker, right? So you've got it there. So you, you see that. He gets here, and then the back steps, goes downhill. So he's kind of attacking A-gap, strong side A-gap, which is right here. So insert to then follow out. So then he's got to follow the guard outside, and he ends up bouncing it outside for a nice chunk run. That is a, an example, Ryan, of their of their their G scheme, which is a major component of air raid offenses. This is one of the unique yes. things that they do. Uh, we'll go to the next version of that play here, which is against Notre Dame. This is last year against Notre Dame. So this was the 52-yard touchdown run from Ty Chandler, and you see a very similar thing happen. So Notre Dame keeps this end inside, and he blocks it down. Uh, to me, when this play gets stopped, Ryan, it's when you can have your end or your edge set that tackle hard and funnel everything back inside. That's when Notre Dame was able to have some success. Notre Dame did not have success against as much success against their run game in a three-down front as they did in a four-down front. That's the conundrum that you find yourself. You can shut their run game down with a four-man front much more effectively than a three-man front, but in a four-man front, you don't have as many people and many resources to defending the pass, and that was kind of the, the spot that Notre Dame found themselves in. So you had a good block here, right, and then just the down blocks here uh, basically secured, kind of washed everything inside, okay? Yeah. So this these down blocks here. This linebacker, Jordan Patejo, kind of scraped, and instead of scraping over the ball, just kind of crashed into the line. Nana Osafa Mensa beat this guy inside, but he did a really nice job of stepping and keeping a body on. But these down blocks right here, Ryan, stopped Nana's progress. Nana actually had beat the guy inside. Guy got a body on, but then because the nose tackle and the and the, the four-eye basically over here, this is the four-eye, they got kind of washed down, which then Nana crashed right into him. So they were able to block Nana because of what the other guys were doing. And then the linebackers got sealed inside. So you had the H-back here blocked J.D. Bertrand out, and then the puller got around this and then blocked Drew White. And Drew did, a, yep. did not do a very good job of getting over top of that block. 
and the safety came down, took a poor angle, and next thing you know, it's out the gate. He went right there, right there for a 52-yard touchdown. And so you blocked it up pretty well, and it all comes down to this play. And it sounds simple, Ryan, but it's harder to, 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 to stop. The only way it's easy to stop is if you know it's coming, right? Right. You got to set the edge. You cannot yes. let this basically what you're not you you need you cannot let this guy get here. You can't let him get to the second level. What you need to do is you either need to set the edge with the end, or what I've seen other teams have success with is if this guy stays inside, this guy will crash hard, hard yeah. inside and blow that up. So once he goes out here, so like so once the and this was a free release by that H back. Once he goes there. And you know you're here. You've got to you've got to fit that sucker hard and blow up that puller in the backfield, and either force mm-hmm. the back to cut back inside where the it's clogged up, or force him to bounce. Right. That's what we talk about. There's either spill outside or force inside is really the correct. That's the still the terminology I believe people use. Ryan, yep. at least it was when I was coaching. So either spill it outside where you know Cam Hart and JD Bertrand are now there because if this guy has an inside angle on JD Bertrand, if you bounce it outside of JD, JD's now free to come off and make that play on the perimeter as is Cam Hart. If you force him to spill back inside, then all of this was clogged up and there was nowhere to go. So that yep. edge block and not letting that guard get upfield is a really big component to being able to shut down their G wrap, which is something that they're going to run a pretty decent amount against Notre Dame, especially when you consider they had a 52 yard touchdown against Notre Dame last year on this particular play. And because Notre Dame's linebackers are not flowing hard, the counter in the G scheme, the G wrap stuff is something I would do a lot against Notre Dame with how their linebackers are playing. Uh, Those are two things that I think we're going to see a lot of this weekend. Yeah, and it's interesting too, Brian, because it's on. So on that the, that play that we that you just drew up there, the, the G wrap. So on that play, you need that front side defensive end, which is your strong side defensive end. He's got to be a dude, man. Like he can't get washed. He has to be a dude. Mm-hmm. He has to be able to fight pressure, right? He's so you think about your here, Riley right? Mills of the world. Yes. So when he gets down blocked, because he's an he's an inside shade, like you say, he's in a four eye. So when he gets down blocked, man, you have to fight outside pressure. Like you have to use that outside arm and you need to kind of fight back to where that where that offensive lineman is trying to clear out there right off of his butt. And for Drew White, I mean, again, you already mentioned it, right? For the Mike linebacker, when it would be JD, well, won't be JD Bertrand in the first half, but just in, in theory, that's what JD's been playing. You need that guy to be super physical and get downhill in a hurry, man. And right now, this is a worry for Notre Dame, if we're being completely honest, because mm-hmm. Notre Dame is not filling hard, right? Like they are not, they're slow to read and react post-trigger right now. And then the Will linebacker position, you mentioned Jordan Batello in this clip. That's the Maris Loifau role mm-hmm. in the defense. That guy needs to be fast and it needs to scrape over hard and play in pursuit. Otherwise, there's going to be a huge gap and you're going to be down numbers at that point, right? Because it, it's, it's just going to be a tough situation. So, I mean, yes, this is a position – this is a, a scheme where, again, they're predicated more on angles, right? Like they want to create angles mm-hmm. to create space. So in that type of system, you need to counteract that with physicality. You need to play hard at the point mm-hmm. of attack. Notre Dame hasn't been doing that right now, right? Like, And so a zone blocking scheme, you're more worried about gap integrity, right, and staying firm to your assignment, all that type of stuff for this position – I mean, yes, you have a gap that you're responsible to in a, in a power system or in, in this ga- in this uh, gap system that we're looking at here. But at the end of the day, man, like they need to be physical against this type of team, right? Like that in this type mm-hmm. of 
play that we're looking at where we where we're just we're kind of breaking down. You need to be physical and you need to play tough at the point of attack and you need to blow stuff up. Counter that momentum yeah. early. They're trying to create angles and they're trying to get you on the move. You need to be able to counteract that with physicality. And that's one thing Notre Dame has struggled with up until this point. Ryan, next thing I want to got it, kind of get into, obviously we talked about the RPO. The other thing that I think North Carolina does really well is they have a really good play action game. It's not good from the standpoint of like it's super intricate. They don't do a lot off of it, but they do it. And this is something where you can't just be an RPO team. Sometimes you have to be a team that shows run action. And I think they do a pretty good job of that because they do a lot of max pro out of their play action game, or they'll at yes. least keep the tight end and pre-release the back. But they do a lot of max pro type stuff with the back on the check down. And I want to bring up a play uh, that we saw against Appalachian State that was really good because one thing that they do a really good job of in this particular uh, in this particular offense is they did a good job of it last year. We'll show another play where they use it effectively. Is they use their motion man really effectively to manipulate the second level of the defense. And in some instances like this, the third level, because so right now they start line up and, and it's not technically a trips because this guy is, is in a wing position, but you're going to treat it defensively as a trips formation. It's a three by one of the boundary. Okay. So at the snap, they send this guy in motion over here. Now what that does is, is you, you're now in a bind. Who's going to defend that guy. You've got your linebackers tucked way in here. Your nickels there. You, only, you either have to fly a linebacker out or you're going to roll your safety down. And what most teams are going to do in this look and what Notre Dame has done often in this look is they bring their safety down. Okay, so North Carolina does a good job with that. So you have this you have this motion across with this guy, right? And he basically on this particular play just runs a swing route. So he's essentially a check down. He's just, hey, if if, if they cover this, you can check it, check it down to me. Okay, so then they have their back block here. So they're going to show inside zone action with their offensive line. Their back steps down. Now, this is a true play action pass. This is not an RPO. This is a true play action pass. So this guy is here. And then essentially what they do is they have a vertical route here, and then they just do a post route here. And then the the danger is the difficulty is because you have to key their run game they show pure run action. So because it's an it, it's because it's a play action, they do a, a hard downhill action. These safety, that safety steps down, and this safety has to come down to defend the, the swing route. Okay. So you're now left with one-on-ones in the perimeter, and they do a good job with this. Now, Sam Howell was a great deep ball thrower. Sure was. Drake May so far has been a pretty good deep ball thrower. He especially was against Appalachian State. And their receivers have done a good job making plays with the ball. I mean, they, they're winning one-on-ones. They're winning a lot of one-on-one throws. And that's exactly what happened here. Because both safeties went down, they just banged this post route. And then they'll throw this go route over here as well. But on this particular play, they they did this. Now, there was a play later in the game, Ryan, where uh, they ran a play action. And I'm trying to remember who it was but they sent a guy kind of up the seam. I think it was like the H-back kind of delayed and then went up the seam. So it wasn't a max pro, but he showed it initially and then kind of released free. When the second level stepped down, he came open on that second level. So they do some really interesting stuff with the play action game as well, Ryan, that, that again, it shows run, your safeties are coming downhill, and then all of a sudden they're thrown over your head. So what does that mean? That means Notre Dame's corners are going to have to be really, really disciplined on the perimeter, and they're going to have to play the football really, really well down the field because there are going to be one-on-one shots in this game from North Carolina. How well can the corners defend it? They're going to have to make plays on -on one-on-ones. Simple as that. They're not going to prevent North Carolina from throwing the balls. When they do throw, 
you got to be there to make plays. So the corners have been a, a definite strength of Notre Dame through two games. That's going to have to continue against North Carolina. Yeah, they're going to be tested. I mean, Brian, like they, the biggest thing for me is that, like you said, manipulating the second and third level, the safeties and the linebackers, you're doing that because you want to create those one-on-one matchups, right? Like they're trying mm-hmm. to do that. They're like, my guys outside are better than your guys, right? Like that's what that's basically what it, I mean, you remember how they did it with like Deami Brown and Daz Newsom a few years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Like Deami Brown was the guy that they were just trying to get isolated one-on-one and he was kind of that vertically based receiver. Like that's kind of the same understanding, that's how right? They like they're trying to 14 points early against Notre Dame in 2020 before Notre Dame settled it. Yep, 100%. I mean, it, that's they, they want to create one-on-ones. And then, like you mentioned, that little tight end pop. Like, let's just call it a tight end pop pass, right? Like a little seam ball. Phil Longo does that about as good as anybody I've seen as far as manipulating that second level to get an easy wide-open receiver as far as a slot receiver or a tight end. Like, he does that incredibly well. You think back to what they did at Ole Miss, even with Evan Ingrams of the world. And then they had the Kenny Yaboa kid that was transferred from Temple a couple years ago. Like they have that built in. And this year, especially like you're seeing guys like Morales and Nesbitt just kind of get open scene balls down the middle of the field. And you're like, how do they get so wide open? Well, they get so wide open because they have this huge emphasis on running the football. They have that run action. And then they just sneak you right behind the linebackers. Like that's how they're doing it. Cause they're manipulating the eyes so well. So that is a big thing for me, man, is that they're manipulating that second level to get easy balls over the middle, and they are working one-on-ones outside. They are trying to manipulate it so that they have those one-on-one matchups because at the end of the day, they believe in their guys to make more plays than the defense will make. Ryan, I was going to show this play later, but I think mm-hmm. with what you just said, it's a good time for it now because you talk. It, it fits into what I had just said and then also what you just said. So this is a play from against North Carolina last year. Uh, and they, what they did is they mm-hmm. brought this guy in motion and uh, put him on like a reverse action. And at the snap, Sam Howe fakes a quick handoff, but then really sells the reverse. And so what they did was, is this tight end right here. Let me, let me get this here real quick. I'm trying to find the levels to play. Here we go. So this tight end right here, uh, Max Prode. So again, they're showing run action, right? They're showing the, the, the they keep this guy in. And then this guy went on a vertical, and it was a lazy vertical. And this guy right here was a tight end that just doesn't catch the ball a whole lot. But because of the action, because of the the reverse action on the motion, and because of the run action where they're tight end blocks, all of a sudden this guy climbs right over top of the linebackers. The linebackers don't see him because they're reading run. And then all of a sudden he gets over the top. And so this ends up opening up a, a huge play for Notre Dame and they or for North Carolina, and they get convert this to a guy that I think – if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm going to look this up, but I think like coming into that game, he only had like a couple receptions all year, uh, I believe. Let me just give me a second to go find that. So I'm going to I'm going to find this particular play because I think that was Bryson Nesbitt that caught that ball on this particular play. Let me uh, let me pull this up here. So Notre Dame, yes, he had two catches on the year coming into that game. He had three for fifty against Notre Dame, including that catch right there. Uh, which allowed them to kind of go out and, and really get something going. So I think once again, you look at it and say, this is a, a concept where where North Carolina is going to do a lot of things. And Ryan and I talk about this a lot. They do a lot of things to mess with the eye discipline of the defense, whether it's, you know, counter stuff. So they'll, they'll do things where this guy goes out and they'll run their G wrap. Like we showed earlier out of this look back would be over here in that instance, right? Then they'll also do inside zone here where the this tight end blocks backside. They'll do inside zone this way 
where this tight end will cross block backside. They'll do things where they'll run these jet motions. They'll do things where they run the reverse motion like here. They they really screw with the eyes of a linebacker. And that's something that Notre Dame's linebackers have really struggled with so far this season. And, and so this is one of the big tests. Talk about, you know, can Notre Dame get their defense rolling? Can they get the linebackers to play better? I think this is one of those plays where it's a big it's a big situation where you're going to have to be disciplined and aggressive. And the linebackers last year were pretty aggressive against North Carolina, and I thought they had some success. But there was a couple times where they they did get beat because they kind of got caught in between one of the two, and so it can be really hard because you'll find yourself climbing, you know, getting deep to cover, you know, that climb route, and all of a sudden they're handing the ball off, you know, or they're throwing a swing route over here, or they're running a counter. And then the other thing they do off of a lot of this stuff too, Ryan, is they have a really intricate screen game off of this. Now, the interesting thing is we haven't seen the screen game a lot this year since Josh Downs has been out because they don't have a lot of screen receivers. Like Josh Downs is their screen guy. The current group of receivers aren't great screen guys. They haven't thrown a ton, but they will definitely throw a lot more against Notre Dame. So just another example, Ryan, and what I said while you, while you were out is We've talked a lot about eye discipline, and North Carolina does a lot pre-snap and post-snap to really mess with the eye discipline of of linebackers. And and they do this, and, and unlike other teams, one thing I really like about North Carolina, Ryan, is they do a lot of stuff to mess with your eye discipline of the secondary, and that's what I want to go to next with their pass game, is they, they do a really nice job of one of the things I really like as a concept, and you all have heard me say this before, I really like post-snap switch routes. I think you have to – it's not something you make a living on where you do it all day, but it's got to be a part of what you do. And we saw this against North Carolina – against App State. We see it, we saw it against their name last year. You're going to see a lot of this stuff. So basically backside, you have a, a, a solo route here. Now, on this particular play, he ran an outcut. In most instances, Ryan, when you're running this kind of concept, there's going to be some sort of communication between the quarterback and the receiver – of what route to run or you're going to have a hey you've got these three options based on what the defense is doing right so yeah. if he's up you'll have a route you'll go here you had an outcut because you had leverage here and you had a one-on-one okay so then to the field they did a nice post snap switch so this is i think this was a tight end he went on a cross here no that's a receiver this was a tight end this tight end just went on a quick wide fade vertical and he's going to read that if the if this defender comes up on him, he runs by him. If this defender sees that and tries to go over top of him, he'll hitch up and stop. So it is a it is a vertical route with a read. If you play over top of it, he can stop. And then what they did here is this guy just kind of delayed, and then all of a sudden went like this, like just went beat the guy inside. And the read on it essentially is what is the defender on you doing? So what they did here is they ran this corner off, they ran this guy off. So these two guys were taken out. And then what that left them was just an, an isolation right here. Now, if this line, if the, one of these two guys is going to have to run with the cross, right? Mm-hmm. So then you're going to have one of these two guys is going to be isolated on the back or on the, the number three receiver. Now, what it looked to me like, Ryan, this delay is accomplishing two things. Number one, it's allowing the clears to clear, right? And that's that's what it's doing, right? Because you can throw the receiver, the quarterback can throw to these two routes. These are not clear routes only, but it allows the spacing of the play to improve, right? That's the first thing he's doing. The second thing he's doing, in my opinion, based on how they run this play, 
is he's going to identify who's on him and what that guy's doing. If that guy stays inside, he can simply go like this. Uh, he could work a vertical, but what happened here is this guy overplayed it. So he went like this, jabbed, and then just beat him inside vertically, and they hit him right up the seam. Yep. And you're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff. So you have post-snap switch routes on, on that particular play. Uh, there's another post-snap switch concept they'll do with backs. They'll do it with a lot of different players that I really like. I'm going to I'm gonna go. So that was one that we just saw. And then here's another, uh, another example of it that I'm going to pull up here. I'm a little bit more prepared in this game uh, on this one with uh, with uh, how to get to these concepts. So we're uh, not going to fumble with it the way we did the other day. So here's one, Ryan, that I really liked as well. Okay, so again, yeah. pre-snap, motion here, swing. So you're now messing with the eye discipline of who's got who. Now all of a sudden these guys have to communicate, okay, who's, who's, who's now taking this? Because now, Ryan, what this motion does, and we've seen this with Notre Dame a little bit, when he goes in motion, you now have four guys to a side. You have one, two, three, four. That's going to require a check in the secondary. They're not going to be able to stick with the call that they had. They're now they went from basically a a three by two or a two by two with a back to now a three by one with a back or a four by one, depending on how teams identify it. Some teams won't count a back as a guy to that side. They'll just declare back strength, so they'll call it a three by one. Just depends. So this guy goes in motion. And at the snap of the ball, he just does what he does a lot. And he just does a swing route. You got to go route out here by this guy. Now, again, they'll throw that. If you get one-on-one, they'll throw that. Against that look, they won't throw it. They may throw like a back shoulder or throw a, a stop route, but he's kind of taken that away. And then what you have here is this guy kind of works in and over the middle of the field, right? So the swing, the go, and then the in has really put this defense in a bind. And then what they did was is this back right here, so they, he goes here, he goes there. This back just goes like this, Ryan, bam, right up the seam mm-hmm. and just beats him right up the seam. And Notre Dame, they hit this against – this play did not work, but they ran this against Notre Dame last year, and they hit that back right – so what happened was is this guy went here, this guy came up, this guy went there, and all of a sudden the back's just running free right in that hole. They hit this for about a 20 some yard gain against Notre Dame last year. So these are the things that you talk about that they do that this part of this version of the air raid, but it does, it's not an air raid only offense. But what a lot of this stuff does is you're not post – like it's it can be difficult to do post-snap switches out there with guys that far apart to the field because there's just so much room to get with, right? And it's, it's a slower developing play. It's easier to do it here, right, with guys mm-hmm. closer together. But what they do here is the post-snap switch is with the tight end in the back. And so I really like the different stuff that they do out of this. It, it, and it just, it forces you, okay, if we're playing pure man, then you have to go over or under defenders. If you're playing sort of a, a pattern match type of thing, it requires a level of communication and decision-making that can turn a guy loose. If you're playing zone, it requires communication on, okay, hey, you know, this guy's coming, you know, you've got this. I, it is not easy to defend this defend this stuff if you are scheming it right. And they do a really nice job of scheming it. And it's just one of the the things where you look at and say, boy, they put you in some really tough binds. And this is just another example of that, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, Brian, it's it's really fun to watch, honestly, from a just a coaching perspective because you're just like, again, how do they scheme up such easy areas, man? But it's 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 literally mm-hmm. you're attacking a player and you're making them for forced to make a decision in a post snap situation, mm-hmm. right? The corner's going to jump there. 
I'm going to throw this ball. If the safety is going to come down, I'm going to throw it over his head. Like it's, it's so fun because at the end of the day, I mean, it's just manipulating football players in the second and third level. That's what, yep. that's what you're looking at. I mean, that play right there, like it's designed like, Hey, let's put that, that slot defender in a bind. Let's put him in a bind. Let's put that safety in a bind. Mm-hmm. You're putting players in a bind and you're making them guess wrong at the end of the day. It's yep. a guessing game. And you can guess it right nine out of 10 times. And if you go back and watch the Notre Dame-North Carolina game last year, Notre Dame, and you and I were discussing this before the show, they had a lot of zero-yard gains, minuses, two-yard gains, Mm -hmm. one-yard gains. They didn't move the ball consistently well against Notre Dame. What they did a great job of was chunk plays. Yes. And some of it was just assignment mistakes, like the the G-Rap. That was just not executed well by the defense. They didn't put them in any kind of bind. They just did that linebacker level, DN level. Somebody made a mistake there. A couple somebody's made mistakes, and it just opened up a, a wide hole. But like on that climb route that we showed, like that puts you in binds. Does the safety help out over top on the go route? Does he come down and take the climb? Do the linebackers take the climb? Do they play the run? Are they going to play the swing action that's going out over there? I mean, do the who are you going to? You more worried about you know Bryce Nesbitt on the climb or Josh Downs in space on the swing route? Like I'm a little bit more worried about Josh Downs and swing route, <laughs> which then opens that up. It's just it's a it's it's not. But the thing is, they don't run a lot of stuff. It's just yeah. they do it in so many different ways. They do it with a little bit of tempo that it just it, they put you in a lot of binds. And the one thing that Phil Longo does is it's. He does a nice job of saying, okay, who do we want to isolate on this particular play? Yes. What is the what, what is the one to two level that we're going to do where we're going to isolate you? And so they'll run horizontal stretch with all verts. They'll do that a little bit. But they do a lot of vertical stretch stuff where it's like high lows. And, and what those do is those put certain defenders in binds. You know, so like they'll run like – I mean, they, I've seen them run curl flat, you know, with a, some kind of third entry into it, right? And you don't see a lot of people running curl flat anymore. Air raid teams still run curl flat because of the way they run it, they almost get like turned it into a triangle concept where you, you've got a decision to make. And it it really is a fun offense to study and watch. And, and the key is if they can protect the quarterback, then it gives them a lot of opportunities. And last year, Notre Dame missed a lot of sack opportunities. And we're going to get into this when we get into the keys to the game. But the big thing is, when you get Carolina in an opportunity to create a negative, you have to do it because it's a much easier offense to defend when they're behind the sticks. Yes. Because now you don't have to worry about the motion and all the backs. Hey, look, we're defending the pass here, right? Keep it in front of you, rally to the football, and that makes them a lot easier. It makes all offenses easier to defend, and the air rate is no different. Yep. But the spacing they create and the binds that they put certain level, certain defenders on is what makes this a really – intriguing, challenging offense to defend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And it's it's something too, Brian, where I said this earlier, but I just want to reiterate it again. 
Notre Dame's not playing very well in the second level right now, right? And you're playing an offense that preys off of making second level defenders look bad. Like it's it's what it's based off of, man. So it's not a great matchup in theory for Notre Dame defensively, Mm -hmm. but it's one that they'll have to win in this game, right? Like they'll have to because no no matter how well you play for Notre Dame, North Carolina's still going to score some points. They are like Mm -hmm. they're that talented, right? But they they really have to mitigate and kind of limits the impact that they can have. And by doing that, they have to play good, sound, disciplined football, in my opinion. Like, you can't be manipulated too much because there's going to be times where you're going to have to make a decision, right? And it's not necessarily guessing because, like, you're you're playing to whatever your responsibility is on a play, but North Carolina is still going to make a play on that because, again, it's you're putting players in a bind. So no matter how they guess or how they react, you're going to have another player open. So that makes it why it's so difficult, but, again – Notre Dame has to come to play on the second and third levels in this game, man. They have to because they're going to get manipulated a ton. And then up front, you need to get home. You need to. Yeah. And again, it's not the keys to the game today, but you need to win those one-on-one matchups. That's like kind of where it comes down to for me. Ryan, Detroit Hunter, and again, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this as we get into the week, but Detroit Hunter asks, isn't Maris' game against North Carolina from a few years ago one of the reasons people are so high on this potential? And you're absolutely right. The reason Notre Dame was able to shut mm-hmm. North Carolina down in 2020 they held them to it was a 17 points. They scored on each of their first two possessions, and after that, Notre Dame completely shut them down. And the big reason for that success, Ryan, was in that matchup, Notre Dame dominated them. I mean, they they won at the line of scrimmage. That was a big part of it. But the other reason is the Notre Dame linebackers played really, really well. Uh, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa had a huge game because Kyle Hamilton got kicked out right before the half. He didn't play the entire second half. So Notre Dame played that yep. game without Kyle Hamilton. And so, and then Tariq Bracey got yanked for, for Clarence Lewis. Clarence settled down. North Carolina had a couple penalties that got called back. Uh, they called back one big play, but they dominated the point of attack and the linebackers flew to the ball, did their job and dominated. The problem is this linebacking core doesn't have a Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. And Clark Lee made the game plan, I felt in 2020, really simple for the linebackers. You have this to this. That's it. You have this to this. And I think that allowed them to play really fast. And if Al Golden is going to try to give the linebackers, here's the mistake you can make as a defense. And this is exactly what Phil Longo wants you to do. He wants you to give your linebackers a lot of different options on a play because Mm -hmm. he's going to have something that's going to hurt them. And he wants them guessing because then he'll just run it down your throat all game. They'll do all this you know, stuff with RPO looks and motions and and jets and all this other kind of stuff to get your linebackers thinking. He's just going to four or five yards you to death with the the ground game. If you try to overplay the ground game, the thing I like about Phil Long is fine. We'll run it 50 times. I don't have to throw it. You know, we'll run it 50 times. I mean, Miami tried to do that in 2020. Do you remember that? Miami just came out that game and they were just like, hey, look, we're, we're not going to, you know, we're going to play off and we're going to defend the pass. And North Carolina just came out and ran it 554 yards in that game and they were just giving them the run game you remember that game and and Miami just never really adjusted so yeah they want they want your you they want your linebackers thinking I mean you look at the in past years I mean this year so far they've ran the ball 44 and 40 times in two different games you know last year they had a 52 yard game against North Carolina 52 carry game against North Carolina uh 41 carry game for 300 yards against NC State uh, 392 yards for rushing yards on 47 carries against Virginia in a win. 43 carries for 399 against Virginia Tech in 2020. 55 carries for 326 in a win over NC State. Phil Longo will run the ball if you don't 
stop the run. So he's not your he, you know, he's not a Mike. He, he is. It's funny. He's a Mike Leach disciple, but he's taking this offense in a completely different direction than than what you would yes. than what you, than what Mike Leach has done. And that's what makes it so hard to defend, because if your linebackers are thinking a lot then he's going to run it on you, what Notre Dame did in 2020 is they said, you are not going to run the football on us. And then you trust your secondary guys to make to make plays on the ball, and you trust your pass rush to get to the quarterback. They're going to need to have a very similar game plan this week, and that's what they did against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And and Ryan Day is not an air raid guy, but there's a lot of similar principles between what he does and Phil Longo does. A lot of cross, yes. a lot of mesh, try, a lot of isolating defenders. Run game is very similarly structured. Would you agree with that, Ryan? Very similar structured 100%. run game. So there's a lot of principles you've already seen from a really athletic, explosive offense. And what Notre Dame did against Ohio State is they they said, hey, our D-line's got to play, and then we're going to cover. The D-line did actually play that well in that game, in my opinion. They had some moments here and there, but they didn't play that well. If the D-line can play like it did this past week, then and the secondary continues to play like they're playing, then they'll be able to keep the points down. But you have to be able to stop the run because Phil Longo, if you play to stop the pass, he will run it on you all day and not even think twice about it, right? So I like to say he did that because of us, Ryan. I say jokingly uh, because I actually yes. I actually coached against – I didn't know this until today. I actually coached against Phil Longo back in the day. When I was at Duquesne, he was at LaSalle. He was the offensive coordinator at LaSalle. And they we were a really good passing team. I was a receivers coach, and we just lit people up throwing the football. Well, LaSalle came out and was like, you're not going to throw the ball on us. And so our starting running back ran for over 300 yards, and we had over 400 yards rushing as a team and beat him 62-14. to 14. So my claim to fame is I'm I'm 2-0 against North Carolina coordinators under Matt Brown because we beat Jay Bateman that year as well, and we beat the long But the point is, is that's the philosophy he's adopted. Yeah, we I love to throw the ball. I love to scheme it up. But if you are not going to – if you're not going to play my run, then I'll run it on you all day. And I really like what he's what he does. It, I really do. It, it's really interesting, Brian, because he's a he's an air raid coach who kind of has an old school mentality, right? Yes. Like it's a little it's it's a weird yeah. kind of mesh, but it works, man. It works, and I love it. I love it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk a little defense, Ryan. Yep. So Gene Chizik, former national champion, Gene Chizik, who was also a defensive coordinator for Mac Brown at Texas, I believe, correct? Back in the day. Uh, yes, is the uh, the thing went to Iowa State, correct? And then from Iowa State went to Auburn, if I remember correctly, his yep. career arc. Yep. So this is a relationship that goes back a ways. He was brought in to fix what was a really bad North Carolina defense last year. And you mm-hmm. you know last year they gave up thirty two point one points per game. They gave up four hundred and eighteen yards per game, six point one yards per play, which is just abysmal. And they've been worse so far. <laughs> Ryan, they're giving up 37.7 points per game. They are averaging, giving up 468.3 yards per game and 6.3 yards per play. That is not, that is not good. Not good. No. Nope. It's, so what, uh, what's going it's on, Ryan? Let's talk about the structure it, of their defense briefly and then just kind of talk about yep. some of the struggles that they've had on defense so far this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so when you're looking at this defense, it should look pretty familiar to a lot of Notre Dame fans because they're they're a four two five system, right? Like, so they're gonna play four down. They're gonna play two linebackers. They're gonna play five defensive backs. And for me, Brian, like the the biggest thing is that they have a jack position, which is Noah Taylor, who is a former Virginia transfer. 
that that's their dropped end. So there's a lot of stylistic comparisons, I think, to what Notre Dame wants to do defensively, to what North Carolina is trying to do. And for me, it's like right now, Gene Chizik, I think, is really trying to keep everything simple, right? Like I think that he came into this year just kind of going like, hey, we were a mess defensively last year. Let's not try to change too much. Let's just do do simplistic things and let our guys kind of be guys because there's talent that we've already talked about on this on this defense, and it just hasn't worked at the moment, right? Like it's just the, the guys have not turned into dudes right now at this point for North Carolina, but they are a four two five system. They are not very aggressive at all. Like you're not going to see a ton of blitzing. Like I, I mean, almost at all, unless you're counting that Jack is a blitzer at some points. But like mm-hmm. they want to rush four and they want to get home with four. And they want to maintain their two high looks. They're going to play two safeties in the middle of the field. Their rover in their system is a nickel. So they're a four two five nickel team where they I mean their guys 5'11, 190 pounds. They're like pure four two five personnel. They're pure four two five personnel. They're not four two five rover like who's no. a linebacker. They are pure four two five old yep. TCU four two five personnel. Was that a, yep. is that the way to put it? Yeah, that's a great way to quantify it. And I mean, so they're playing two high shells a ton. They're going to be in two man at, across the board, right? So they're playing man underneath and then two high system with their two safeties. They're going to play match quarters a ton as well. So the the moral of that story is that they want to protect the middle of the field. Like they're a team that wants to play too high and not give up a ton down the field. Like that's the kind of their calling card right now. So simplistic is the word that just continues to come to mind, Brian, because they're not a team that's going to be overly aggressive. You're not going to see their linebackers blitz a ton. You're going to see try to get home with four and you're going to say two uh, cover two man. And you're going to see four uh, match quarters on the back end. So there, this is a team that's going to try to keep everything in front of them. Unfortunately, even though they're trying to keep everything in front of them, they're still giving up a lot of explosive plays. Like that's just mm-hmm. kind of what it comes down to right now. So it's not, it's a very basic, simplistic defense that right now has not done the job for North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So Ryan, the big thing is, is, is they're just getting gashed. Yes. That's the thing for me. Like, you know, you, you look at the first game of the year against Florida A&M and again, it's Florida A&M. So you, you try not to take, put too much into it, but the concerns I had in that game were I thought they got ripped up a little bit with the pass game. I thought Florida A&M did a really nice job throwing the football, but they did a really nice job stopping the run. They held Florida A&M to I think like 56 yards rushing, something like that. Well, then the next two games, they're still not very good at defending the pass. I mean, Appalachian State threw for 361 yards and six touchdowns while completing 69% of their passes. But here was the problem. They not only could not stop the pass, but App State rushed for 215 yards on them. And then Georgia State's coming off of a game in which they rushed for 183 yards on on uh, North Carolina. So they are really struggling, really struggling right now to stop. I'm sorry. Uh, let me let me go here to North Carolina. Sorry, they gave up 288 yards to. I, I actually looked at that offense. Yes. So App State passed for 361 yards and six touchdowns. That was accurate. I was wrong on the rushing numbers. They actually rushed for 288 yards in 6.7 yards per carry against App State, and they gave up 235 rushing yards to Georgia State, who is 0-3 and just lost to Charlotte. So, so I mean, so, they're, so they're they gave up over 600 yards against App State. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were close to 700 well over, in that game. That's insane, man. I know they gave yeah. up 40 points in the fourth quarter in that Six, game. Like, 649. That just... Yeah, 649, 8.2 yards per play. Yeah, not great. Yeah, not great. No, no, it's not. It's not good at all. So, 
that Ryan, you look at defensively, the the strange thing is there's like when I watch North Carolina on offense, I think their quarterback's really talented. Drake May, they don't have a lot of talent on offense the last two games. Now, again, that's without Josh Downs, right? When right. Josh Downs comes back, he's a dude. You and I are both very high on Josh Downs. Yes. But outside of him and the quarterback, it's not a great team. Like, it's not an elite talent. Like, I don't see – this is not This is nothing like talent-wise what they had two years ago when they had, mm-hmm. like, Michael Carter, uh, Javante Williams were both significantly better players than anybody they have right now. With all due respect to their outside receivers, none of them are as good as Deami Brown was, in my opinion. No. And so, uh, and the offensive line's not as good. the The thing is, though, it's it's such a good scheme. When I look at their defense, I'm like, there's more athletes on their defense than they have on their offense. Yes, it's really bizarre. Like they are bizarre. on defense, what Notre Dame is on offense. Where you're like, they are not as the talent is not that bad that of what we're seeing. And that's the, the the strange thing that we're seeing is like there's actually some dudes you're like, dude, I athletically that guy can really play, you know, especially their secondary yes. and their front, and and so it's a little strange to see them see the way that that they're playing right now, Ryan. Well, I, and that's one thing that I said in the opening, Brian, is like defensively, if I was a coach, I would love to have several of the players that North Carolina is trotting out there on mm-hmm. the starting lineup, but for what reason, man, like it just is not materialized and is not tangibly turned into production like it's just not great right now man so again I mean it's just it's a little bit of a struggle right now for a North Carolina team and it's it's kind of a head scratcher if we're being completely honest mm-hmm. defensively mm-hmm. so what can North I mean is there hope for North Carolina Ryan what what I mean is there something you can look at and say hey fix that and they could be okay like because I don't really see it yet but you've watched more I, I, of it than I have so far I think for me, Brian, it's like they need a maturation of their best players to kind of come to the forefront here soon, right? Like we've talked about Tony Grimes. We've talked about Storm Duck. We've talked about Miles Murphy, a defensive tackle. We talked about Noah Taylor, the transfer from Virginia. There's talent, but like it's just none of those guys have ascended into a talented football player to a really good football player. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a scheme thing because, again, they're keeping it simple. It's not like they're doing stuff that it's just like they're overly confused. I just think at this point their best players that you would call their best players in their defense are not playing great football right now. They don't play with conviction on defense. That's the problem. If you're going to be a simple defense, you've got to play with conviction. And they don't play with conviction. They don't play – got to fly downhill. Like I think of the 28 Notre Dame def- 2018 Notre Dame defense, not a very complex defense, but they mm-hmm. being their linebackers, man, Drew, Drew Tranquil and Tavon Coney flew downhill. Their safeties, yeah. Jalen Elliott, and especially Lohi Gilman just flew downhill. Their defensive line attacked with purpose. We, we don't see that from Notre Dame for, from the North Carolina defense either. So that's what, no. that's what uh, it's a big challenge for them. It's a defense that's built on speed, and yet, like, mm -hmm. there's just zero physicality, man. Like, that's one thing about Miles Murphy that I wrote that I'm writing is like, Miles Murphy looks the part, man. 6'4, 305 pounds, has some decent foot quickness, but then it's just passive at the point of attack. And I feel like that's like everybody on the roster defensively. Mm -hmm. It's just like they just they have size. I mean, Tony Grimes is what, six foot plus, near 200 pounds. Storm Duck is. 6'1", 200 pounds. He's a big mm-hmm. kid. Number nine, their safety, who's a pretty decent football player, at least has been pretty productive, is you know a good sized player Cameron as well. Kelly, they have yeah. some almost six yeah, two, two hundred ten. Yeah, they're 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 two safeties, Ryan. Just to back up your point, both Virginia kids. 
Uh, Cameron Kelly's list is six one and a half two ten. Geo Biggers, Giovanni Biggers is six one and a half two hundred. Uh, Tony Grimes is listed at six one one ninety five. Storm Duck is listed at six one two hundred. Uh, Dante Balfour plays a lot. He's six one one eighty. Uh, Don Chapman played a lot. Has played a lot in his career. Six one one ninety five. The backup free safety is field safety is six two two hundred. And then Marcus Allen, the younger brother of Derek Allen, who used to play at Notre Dame, is six is, is one of their backup corners. He's six one and a half one seventy five. Their linebackers are two thirty two forty five. Their edge players, their Jack Noah Taylor, is 6'5", 240. Chris Collins also plays at 6'4", 245. Desmond Evans, their 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 big end is 6'6", 265. And then both of their interior defensive tackles are 6'4", and 6'3", and over 300 pounds. Size is not an issue for this football team anywhere. No. They just no. don't play with conviction. And they don't play sound. They miss they, – I mean, they make Notre Dame look like an incredibly fundamentally sound tackling football team. Like – that's, I mean, as far as the from a tackling standpoint, that is a big, a big, big thing of a big, big problem for them as well. And you said this, they like, miss there's a, a lot of plays where their linebackers are in position to make a play, but it's just like they can't make a play. They miss a lot of tackles, man. They miss a lot of tackles. They miss a lot of assignments. They're not gap sounds in any in any way. And also, mm-hmm. Brian, like again, I just think that there's a lack of physicality on this defense, and like conviction goes along with that, right? Because it's not. Mm-hmm. I don't. Th- I don't think that they lack power or size it's just for whatever Mm -hmm. reason they do not play with a physical sense of urgency at the point of attack and that's my biggest issue with this entire north carolina football team even Mm -hmm. on offense you and i were talking about this before the show though say hey would you like phil longo to become notre dame and i'd say yeah in a lot of ways i would there's one hold up that i have his offensive lines have never been physical they run for a lot of yards but they're not physical and you had mentioned this, like that's one of the changes Ryan said before the show. He said that's one of the changes that Lane Kiffin brought when he arrived after replacing Matt Luke and Phil Longo is you saw their line play with more physicality. I think there's no reason for him not to be more physical up front. With, with, I mean, they're running inside, outside zone. They're running counter. They're running G-Rap. Those are all things you can be physical. I thought Lincoln Riley's offensive lines that run the same exact run schemes as Phil Longo's when him and Bill Bedball were together, they were a lot more physical in the run game than what we're seeing from North Carolina. That's the one big knock. And then how does that impact your defense? When you're not playing an offensive line that just comes off and fires off the ball in practice, and then you've got to face one like Notre Dame's on Saturday, I, I, I wonder how that impacts them a little bit, Ryan. And then having that's to play question. that team that's just messing with your, your eye discipline all game, and then you're playing a team that doesn't do that on Saturday, how does that mess with you? I think that's a, an interesting concept, and that's what – pose the original question of do you know an air raid team that plays really good defense and i can't mm-hmm. i really can't think of one that, that's it's really interesting brian because i never really thought about it until you mentioned before the before the show about like hey they're not playing against air raid teams every week so like it's going to mess kind of with mm-hmm. their eye discipline and stuff and it's it's a great point and i, I love i mean again i think you kind of hit the nail on the head with not playing with conviction and not playing with physicality because i was even watching a game yesterday, Brian, we're like, so both their tackles look the part, right? Yeah. Offensive tackle wise. Asim Richards is 6'4 plus, has pretty long arms. And then they have a, the right tackle, Spencer um, Rollins, Rollins, was actually yeah. got draftable grades from the NFL, was a transfer from Harvard. Both these guys look like NFL six, tackles. Six, three, they have enough He's length. 6'6, 310, Ryan. Yeah, they have length, point. they have size, but then you watch them play and it's just like they're taking zone steps. And when they're engaging with blockers, they're lunging, right? And so mm-hmm. when I'm starting with that, I'm like, okay, lunging happens for a couple different reasons usually, right? One, usually the most common one is that they don't have length, right? Like they can't pl- they can't play outside of their frame. 
And both of those guys have length, though. So what's the next thing that makes you think, Brian, right? That they're not aggressive at the point of attack and they're kind of lunging because they're not getting their butt underneath of them, right? So I think that just kind of comes across the board, man, offensively and defensively. Even though they're really nice on offense, offensive line-wise, I don't think they play with conviction. Defensively, I certainly don't think they play with conviction. There's just a lack of physicality with this team, which I think is why Mm -hmm. when they play a really good team, a really good defense, or just a really good team in general – they, they tend to struggle because they are mm-hmm. teams that can kind of take advantage of that lack of physicality. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So, Ryan, that's going to do it for this portion of the show. We're going to have a mailbag next. But that's going to do it for our wrap-up of Cal – or, excuse me, of North Carolina. So it gives you a good sense of what they do. Uh, it's some really intriguing stuff scheme-wise. It's definitely some stuff that can be defeated, though, as we've seen from Notre Dame. Uh, the, the offense for North Carolina coming into the 2020 game I remember all the hype about that offense coming into that game and people just raving about how good that team was and how many points they scored. Notre Dame did a pretty good job of shutting them down. You know, in the in the that year they'd scored 31, 26, 56, 28, 48, 41, 56, 59 coming into the Notre Dame game. Total yards, they were 656, 558, 576, 536, 573, and they had 742 against Wake Forest a week before playing Notre Dame. Yards per play, 6 coming into the Notre Dame game. I mean, they were a they had three games already that year where they rushed for over 300 yards. Notre Dame shut them down. First two drives, not pretty. After that, completely shut them down. There are things you can do to shut them down and or slow them down, I should say. Notre Dame has the ability to do it. So, you know, sometimes when people listen to these shows, they're like, oh, how are they going to stop them? The point of this show isn't to show you how to stop it. We'll talk about that in later shows. It's just to show you what they do. So when you're watching the game yes. on Saturday, you can say, hey, look, I know what they're doing here. I have a sense of what they're doing here. Uh, so it can come across that way. But it, it is an offense that can be slowed down. Uh, you just have to execute. You have to be. You have to attack it, and you have to be sound. And I think that's what Clark Lee did a really nice job of in 2020. It's what they did. A, they actually did a pretty decent job of that last year, too, if they could have just freaking contained the quarterback and not had blown assignments. They had two touchdowns off just blown assignments, 250, like two long touchdowns off blown assignments. Eliminate those, and that's a blowout. I mean, that game's not even close. And, oh, let me see. Limit those two plays and tackle the flipping quarterback in the backfield, and last year's game's not close. But mm-hmm. Drake May is similar to, to Sam Howell in that regard. You have to respect his ability to run the football. Uh, you also have to respect his ability to get out of the pocket and scramble. Is he, He's had some runs. They'll run read zone. A lot of his runs are just like Sam Howell. It's quarterback draw and scrambles is really mm-hmm. what a lot of that stuff comes on. So you have to be prepared. Uh, you have to be prepared to handle that. So it's not going to be easy, but it's definitely something that can be done. And uh, we're going to talk about that the next couple couple days. We're going to talk about the matchup, statistical matchup, the personnel matchups, and the things that Notre Dame can do uh, to come out on top of this game on both sides of the ball, both sides of the ball. So before we head over to the mailbag, everybody, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast, and, of course, sign up for the message board at irishbreakdown.com. You can find the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. 